Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Back. How you guys doing this morning? Amen, amen. I'm doing great. Hey, guys, so um, earlier this week, I was driving the car, and I got my kids. You guys ever met? I got a five-year-old daughter named Grace, and I have an almost two-year-old son named Elijah. And we're driving in the car, and we got these, like, kids' Christian CDs that we like to play, and, and they love it. Like, Grace, Daddy, can you put on the God songs? Can you put on the God songs? And so, like, we put it on, and, and they sing it, and, you know, Grace is like, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, God bless her soul. She tries her best. She's just like, she got that part for me and my, my son. You know, <laughs> my son, you know, he goes, he's like almost two. But it's so cute, right? And so the reason why we want to play music like this and we want to be that example, because our kids, when they're growing up, they watch us. And so if you ever notice, kids, when they grow up, they become a reflection of the parents. And so for us in our household, we want to let Jesus' light shine on us. And in order to do that, we can't hide from him. We can't be in the darkness. We have to let that light shine and bounce off us so that we can be an example to our kids. So I was kind of like, I'm a little science nerd sometimes. So I got this little graph about the reflection of light. Everybody say reflection. reflection. Everybody say light. light. Everybody say Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. So I'll make sure you guys are up. All right. So the law of reflection, it states that the angle of incidence, which is this one right here, this is, picture this is the light, this is the sun, comes down this way. It equals the angle of reflection. So right here, this is the surface. This is us. If the surface is not available or is not around or hides itself, the sun, the light, cannot reflect and then have its reflection going. And if you have noticed a reflection, where you look in the mirror, what do you see? A reflection. Yes, the same thing. And I don't know about you, but since our kids are watching us, if we're not being this light, that's reflecting, if we're not being available, something else is going to catch their eye. And I don't know if you know this or not, but one way or another, our kids are discipled by someone. So it's either we are leading them to Jesus or we are leading them away from Jesus. And for as far as me and my wife, we want to lead our kids. We want them to follow Jesus. So that they can also be reflections. And just like we are reflections to them, they are reflections to their kids. And just like they are reflections to their kids, their kids are reflections to others and so on and so on and so on. So the title of this sermon is today, it's called Reflection of the Light. Reflections of the Light. And just like Jesus is a reflection of the Father, so we should be a reflection of Jesus. So everybody turn your Bibles to 
the book of John. We're going through the book of John. The book of John chapter 8, verse 12. Book of John chapter 8, verse 12. The book of John is the fourth book of the New Testament. It's one of the four gospels. Chapter 8, verse 12. When you get there, say amen. amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come to you right now with humble hearts. As we worship you today here on this Lord's Day, we just ask that you guide us and strengthen us through your word. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to be reflections of you to everyone around us. It's not always easy, but we want to do that today. So Lord, through your word, as we dig in and we eat, Father God, I pray that you fill us in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. So the first point I want to get to is Jesus, or I am the light of the world. Verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to them again. He said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when you read that, you're like, okay, cool. You know, Jesus is the light of the world. You know, it's just like the song. But there's a lot of context that will open your mind, expand so much more. And if you don't really study the word, you don't get into commentaries, you'll never really get the full grasp of what Jesus was really saying, how powerful this statement was at this particular place, at this particular time. So during this time, right now in the context, let's set the table before we eat. They are having the festival of booths or the festival of tents. And that commemorated the time that the Israelites were in the desert. When they escaped the bondage of Egypt and Moses led them to the desert. And they would have these large memorials that would be lit up with lights of fire all through the temple complex. Just to commemorate the light of fire that guided the Israelites to the wilderness. And if you're new to the Bible, well, in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Moses that God had used to lead his people out of bondage of Egypt. And when they went into the wilderness, so they knew they weren't alone, God led them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. And so this light, this fire was to remember it because unfortunately, just like us today, we forget the miracles of God in our own life. Amen. God can do some miracles years before and then a new thing happens and we're like, oh, can he do it? And the Jewish people were big on this. So they would always teach each generation moving forward the powerfulness of God. And why they did this, they would anticipate this Messiah all through the Old Testament, all pointed to one thing. Guess what his name was? Jesus. And he was the Messiah or the Christ. And that he would come in the Old Testament, they said that this Messiah would be the light of all nations. So this torch lighting ceremony would go on. And it wasn't just for one day. It wasn't just like a one day party and it was over with. It lasted for seven days. And they would be praising, and they would be dancing, and they would be glorifying God. And after the seven-day dramatic illumination in the temple, now Jesus comes out. 
and says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So now when you, it's important to know the biblical, historical, the context of a verse, because then you can get a full impact of really what was happening, what was going on, the significance of what Jesus was saying. This was also one of the seven I am statements that John used. But let's look at the word light. Because that's what we're supposed to be reflections on. Let's look at how the word light is used all throughout John. The Greek word which the original text was used was called phos. And it was usually used metaphorically. It was to mean holiness, purity, or godliness. And by him saying this during this time, at this very place, Jesus was also saying that he was the fulfillment of all the promises and the prophecies of light, the salvation of the world. You know, 1 John 5, 1 says that God is light. And as Christians, we are supposed to reflect that light to the world. We're supposed to be just like a reflection. Just as Jesus is a reflection of the Father, so should we be a reflection of him. Number two, everybody say number two. The testimony of Jesus. This is important. I want you to listen to this. This is important. The testimony of Jesus. Verse 13 and 14, it says, So the Pharisees said to him, But you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not even valid. Jesus responds, Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, My testimony is true. Because I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I come from or where I am going. You see, the Mosaic law, and this is why these Pharisees, which are lawyers and not like a regular lawyer today where you're in the court systems and you're, you know, criminal defense. They study the law. That's where they get the word lawyer from. And they study the law and they try to do it to a T. But because they're not perfect and they're not God, sometimes they would misinterpret what God's true meaning for man and people was. And so the Mosaic law called for at least two witnesses to verify that something was truth. They had to have two, not one, but two. Now, that doesn't mean that a single testimony was necessarily false, but if it was brought to court, If you didn't have two witnesses, it could be thrown out as inadmissible. Now, I can't really fathom when you know when you when you read the Bible, if you ever read the gospels before and you read about Jesus and his life and his ministry, I just can't fathom how they could not see that this guy was the Messiah. I mean, everything pointed to him. Even the 300 prophecies, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that all pointed to Jesus, every single one came true to a T. Even when the ones that was a few hundred years to 800 years and beyond. That's crazy, right? And they study the law and they can see with their own eyes. So why don't they put one plus one equals two? I mean, that's a good thing to think about if you're an unbeliever here today. If you're questioning if Jesus is really God, this is something that you might want to pay attention to. And study for yourself. Don't take my words for it. 
But Jesus' own origin, his virgin birth, his ministry, don't get me wrong. Jesus, don't mistake this, was the most popular person on the planet. When you start healing the blind and healing the lame and raising people from the dead, you think people ain't going to notice? You think they ain't going to start talking about it? Oh, no, when Jesus came, everybody came. Oh, Jesus is here. Come on, Jesus is here. And they running. They just wanted a piece of this person. And they saw that. So how could you not think that this was the Messiah? I don't get it. Even his final destination validated his testimony. Validated. But they couldn't acknowledge that. The Pharisees couldn't see it. You know, a famous Christian author by the name of C.S. Lewis once wrote a famous piece called Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. And they said, when you look at Jesus and you hear his claims, because he made some very, very bold claims, which we're going to get into, he's got to be either three things. You can only look at him three ways. Either you look at him as a liar, like what he's saying cannot be true. It has to be false. Or two, you look at him as a lunatic, like this guy is bat crazy. He thinks, what, he's God? But if he's not a liar and what he said was true, and if he's not actually crazy, then what else can you call him but Lord? Verse 15, Jesus continued on. You judge by human standards, or some translations say you judge by the flesh. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. You see, when he's saying that you judge by human standards or you judge by the flesh, what Jesus is actually saying is that you judge by the standards of this world that we live in of this culture that we live in. That's what you're going by. That's your truth. And Jesus, when he said, you know, judge, be like, hold on. It says the other ways in the Bible that Jesus is the judge. <laughs> Remember the difference between his first coming and his second coming. Read the difference between the Gospels and Revelation. Same Jesus, different mission. See, he didn't come to judge on the first one. He came to die for our sins, and to offer salvation to the world. The second time, well, that's a different story. Verse 17. He said, even if your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one, everybody say one, one. who testifies about myself and my father who sent me testifies about me too. You know, Jesus' second point is that his testimony was not unsupported. But he had the Father in him, so it met the requirements that were given in the law. And, and, and I, those two witnesses are far greater to any one of us sitting in this room right now, even if we piled all of us in the room together as one. You see, the Father has sent him and Jesus, like a reflection, represented 
the Father. So just like Jesus is a reflection of the Father, so now we, as his disciples, as Christians, should also be reflections of Jesus. Number three. It's a hard truth right here. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. I'm going to repeat this again because it's so important. No matter how hard it is, and so it's a struggle to believe sometimes because sometimes we don't want to believe this. We got family members or friends, or, and it breaks our heart. But no matter what our emotions say, we have to always rely on the facts and the truth of God's word. And in the Bible, it says that Jesus not only is God, but he is the only way. He is the light. He is salvation. You know, to no one, you know the other. Verse 19 says, Then they asked him, where is your father? Remember, they remember this guy. This guy from Nazareth, whose father was Joseph in their mind. This human guy. Now, the same boy that they saw grow up from Nazareth, he's claiming to be all this stuff. They couldn't picture it. They couldn't see it. And he's talking about all this stuff about his father sent him and his father, 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 father. Where is he? He said, you know, neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. And they didn't know him. These were religious leaders that did not know who God was. You know, I know you're like, well, how, how, how does that happen? There's two different types of no's. Just like there's two different types of beliefs. Not everybody who believes has this big thing called belief. Not everybody who believes is saved. I know some of you guys think, wait, 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 Pastor Sean, that, that's, that, that, that's heresy right there. It says in the Bible that in Romans, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you shall be saved. But hold on. How come it says that in James... Even the demons know him and shudder. You think the devil doesn't believe in Jesus? You don't think he don't believe that Jesus is God? So how could one still back up the other and not contradict? Ooh, that's a good question, huh? Well, there's two types of beliefs and there's two types of no. One is cognitive. Anybody heard of the word cognitive? It's like you know with your mind. A lot of people know God. I, I know he's there. Just like I know this bottle of water is here, right? I can see it. I know it. I know if you're a first-time guest, you're a first-time guest, right? I don't mean to embarrass you. Just, just say your name. Chelsea. Chelsea. I know your name's Chelsea. I know you're standing right there, and I know what you look like. I know you, but I don't know you. I don't know you. I can believe that this water is here, just like the devil believes that Jesus is there. 
He knows how powerful he is. He believes that he's God. But it's not that life-saving, following belief. Like, I believe you so much, I'm going to follow you. I believe your words, I'm going to follow you. Okay? So he's saying that you don't know God. And so since they don't know, therefore they don't believe, well, that's a very serious spiritual problem that they have. Because the Bible is very clear who is the only way to heaven? Who is the only light to salvation? Verse 20. He spoke these words by the treasury. Now, the treasury was a structure that was mentioned. This is how we know a little bit about it. The treasury was a structure that was mentioned by the great Jewish historian Josephus. And, and the treasury was right next to the woman's side of the temple, the woman's court. And it had 13 boxes. Everybody say 13. 13. 13 boxes. The Hebrew word for them was shofar oat. Shofar oat. You know what shofar oat means? It's hard to pronounce. But you know what it means in Hebrew? It means trumpet. Why do you think that they were called shofar oat, which means trumpet? Because these boxes, they looked like a trumpet. And seven of them were placed that were for the ties. And the other six were placed for the free will offerings. So kind of like in church, how like you might hear a pastor when reference Old Testament, like we had a box back there, right? Say, okay, you give your 10% of, of tithes and offerings, you know, that's mandated by God in the Old Testament. And then, you know, in the, uh, you know your, your, your six, that's for free will. So yeah, I'm going to give my 10%, but say we got the whole toy drive coming up and I want to go be of and, and I want to offer an extra hundred bucks. Or I want to buy a bike for a kid that's in need, right? That would be the offering. And they had these, these trumpets. I'm just giving you a cool little context. And it's the same one that Jesus talked about with the woman with the two pennies. When he said he gave more. And he said, do it discreetly. You know why? Because this is what these Pharisees would do. And don't do this at home or here in the church. They would come in. They would see these trumpets, these giving boxes. And they would announce, hello, everybody. My name is Pharisee such and such, and I am about to put in such and such money to God and donate it. And they would put it in, and it made different sounds depending on the type of coin that went through. So people would know exactly how much they were giving. That's why Jesus said, watch your heart. So when you give, just drop it in the box. You're not going to get no extra effort for it. Go online, newvision.city. But this room that they were in, this treasury is where he is speaking to them. And he says, he said, look for me over here, temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not come. So he's saying all this stuff and they're hot. Like so mad. There's like the cartoons when the steam's coming out the ears and the face all red. They're mad. But see, you know why nobody sees them into the hour? Because of God's sovereignty. He was protected until the time was to come. He couldn't let him because he had a mission and he had to complete that mission before anything else could happen. Verse 21. Excuse me. It says, Then he said to them again, I am going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. That's harsh. Where I am going, 
you cannot come. Some translations say, therefore, where I'm going, you cannot come. And, and, and so these strong words that we hate to hear, Jesus wasn't sugarcoating. He wasn't beating around the bush. He was being very straightforward to these people who were teaching the law. He was giving them the right teaching so they can be received it for themselves. And what Jesus was talking about, see, they thought that when Jesus was saying this, there was this Jewish superstition that if you killed yourself, you would go to the lowest parts of hell. The lowest parts of hell was made for people who took their own life, which is not true. Another side note, even if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, if you kill yourself, commit suicide, or if you have families to do it, do not do that. I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm not, I'm not giving you a pass to do that. Okay, if you feel suicidal, come see a pastor immediately after service, okay? But... If you know somebody that's killed themselves, you do not go to hell. You can still be a believer in Jesus and be overwhelmed by the stuff and have some problems in the head or some issues that you're having struggle dealing with or your emotions. So I want you to know that. But this was their belief. This was some of their Jewish superstitions that they had is that you would be in this place. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. Where Jesus was talking about where I'm going, you will look for me but you would die saying you can't come. He was talking, I'm going back with the Father. And because you don't believe in me, you can't come. A lot of people want to, they, they, they want to go to heaven, but they want to do it on their own terms. God is like, no, 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 no. You want to come to my house? You want to come up in my crib? You got to respect me. You got to do it on my terms. Hey, hey, how many of you guys are going to let me go up in your house, drink all your juice, Sit up on your couch with dirty feet, kick it up, and say, go make me a sandwich. You know what? Don't even talk to me because I don't like you. Amen. Yeah, right. You better get the heck out of here with all that. Well, God's the same way. If you want to be in God's house, you got to follow God's rules. Amen. And see this. You want to spend eternity with him? Or you want to spend eternity without him? That's on you. But this, this unbelief was their barrier. They couldn't get past it. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get past it. That was their singular sin that Jesus was saying, their failure to believe in him. They not only rejected his claims, you got to understand, they not only rejected his claims, but by doing so, they also rejected his person. They rejected who he was. Their refusal to come to the light when it was available right in front of their face was their biggest mistake. And you know, because they refused to, they will continue to look for this Messiah. Even to this day, if you ask somebody who is Jewish, or Orthodox Jew, they're still waiting. They missed the boat. Sad, huh? Verse 23, remember how I said how they believe that you'll go to hell? She just kind of sets the record straight. <laughs> he said, not me, you are from below <laughs> and I am from above. Now, actually, what, what Jesus is saying when he says, you are from below, he told him, I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. Below, Jesus is talking about the natural world. Above, talking about heaven and the difference there is a difference though because sometimes we can 
wordplay, we can get this confused. There's a difference between being in this world and being of it. We're all here on this earth, so we're, we're in this world, and we're supposed to be a light in this crazy world that we live in, and you know it's crazy. We've walked outside this church. Matter of fact, in here, some of y'all are crazy too. Let's just keep it real. Amen. But when Jesus says the world, or anytime in the New Testament when we talk about the world, they're talking about the system that is actively opposing God's plan. In different parts of this world culture and TV and things we watch, there are systems that are created to actively oppose God's plan and to stop you from believing and following in any way possible that they can. And, you know, if you're in the world, you can't understand it. You don't really understand God's plan or his purpose. And what you're doing, how many, when you were in the world, thought what you were doing was normal? For real. You were lost in your sin and you thought not only was it normal, but this is what I'm supposed to do. This is good. You call bad good. And you call good, that's bad. I don't want nothing to do with that. That's why the earthly can't grasp it. And not even these Pharisees. I mean, this guy, Jesus was coming to him and he was making all these claims. And, you know, in the, in the Jewish literature, maybe an angel would come down and speak to someone or maybe one of the, the fallen heroes is what they thought. But this guy was from Nazareth. What good can come out of Nazareth, right? Verse 24. Therefore, I told you <laughs> that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Straight to the point. Jesus is not making no mistake. And if you pay attention closely, and if you are familiar with the context of the Israel nation of that time, the language which they were, pay attention to this. He says, for if you do not believe that, I am The word, remember I said the New Testament was written in Koine Greek? Well, this was part of Septuagint. Give you a little history fact. Septuagint, everybody say Septuagint. Was the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, translated in Greek. And it's the same translation that Jesus and Paul read from. And this word in Greek called ego amai, everybody say ego amai was the same translation that was used in the Septuagint when Moses came up to the burning bush and God first introduced his name. I am who I am. So all these people who know the language, they read from it, they know the history about Moses, the impact of the moment, coming out of the festival of booths, the life ceremony, everything now culminates to this moment right now. Jesus is making a direct claim and saying, if you don't believe in my deity, if you do not believe that I am God and the Father sent me, you will die in your sins. Make no mistake. Everyone knew what he was talking about. Why do you think they got so mad? Why do you think they were so indignant? They were frustrated like, this guy right here, they couldn't understand. They were just mad. Verse 25. He said, you know what they said back to him? Who are you? 
Who are you? They questioned. They weren't questioning who are you to get any information. That who are you was more, who the heck do you think you are? That's exactly what they meant. Because they knew what he was implying. Verse 26. Right before that. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. They've been saying it all along, but they weren't paying attention. They couldn't see it. There's been people in your life who's been telling you about this guy named Jesus in this way that you should follow, but some of you just haven't seen it. You've been so wrapped up in your own way, your own thoughts, and your own world that you miss out on a Savior that's given this life-giving gospel that's for you. And some of you have been making the wrong decision. Some of you have been following the wrong way. But today, today I want you guys to see the true light. Today I want you to see how you can become a reflection. You see, a lot could have been said when he said in verse 26, I have many things to say about you and to judge about you because you just know every last one of their sins. (laughs) Man, I wonder if Jesus ever wanted to tell you guys my sins. <laughs> They'd be alone. Like everybody else but he said, but the one who sent me is true. And what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. I, I, want, you, I want you to picture that. See, this, Jesus did everything that the Father told him to do. It was like he, he, could, he could have said all this stuff, but the father didn't tell him to say that. He could have made a different decision instead of go to the cross, but the father didn't tell him to do that. It was this reflection. When you saw the reflection of the father, you saw the son. When you heard the father, you heard the son. That's how, as Christians, we should be. When we read this book, we should see it in our lives, culminate it. Study it, meditate on it, and reflect it on so when people see it, they see the love of Jesus. Amen? Don't let these words go, boy, please. It's just like a reflection. And just as Jesus is a reflection of the Father, so should we be a reflection of Jesus. Number four, the Son is a reflection of the Father. Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, says it again, and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the father taught me, I say these things. What do you think Jesus meant when he said the word lifted up? I think it was like a worship service. All right, everybody. Let let us lift up Jesus right now. Let us lift him up a little more. No, that's not what he was saying. Lifted up when he said this? He got this from the suffering servant in Isaiah 52 for 53. 
when he said lift it up, he was talking about one thing and one thing only. When I get lifted up, he was talking about the crucifixion. He was talking about the cross. Lifting up him on the cross and what he did for us was a complete revelation of the divine glory of the Son. That's what it was all about. That was his mission. Nothing else but was to get lifted up so that he could die for you and me. Not only was the crucifixion, the cross, the next stage to get back to the Father, but lifted up was to be lifted up and exalted and glorified by the Father. That sacrificialness that he made, the cup that he drank by fulfilling the mission he did what the Father told him to do. He listened to the Father when the Father spoke. Verse 29. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Because I always do what pleases him. Just like when you see a reflection, the one standing in front of the reflection hasn't gone anywhere at all. Do you hear that? When you're standing in the mirror and you see a reflection, the reflection's there the whole time, and so is the person standing right there. So the Father is always with Jesus, and Jesus is always with us. The Father is always with Jesus, and Jesus is always with us. Verse 29. When he's saying this in, in verse 29, we, we, he's also speaking of his sinlessness, and that's a, a, something I wish I could say. I wish I could say that I live a sinless life. But just like you, just like me, we sin every single day, either in thought, words, or deed. But the mark of a Christian, somebody that tries, tries to be a reflection, even though we miss the mark every single time. Verse 30. <clears throat> As he was saying these things, many believed in him. As he was saying these things, many believed in. You know, when he got lifted up, many believed. Remember the, the thief on the cross? All the people who witnessed him, even the people when he got in the ascension, even James, his own brother, the author of the book of James in the New Testament, James, his own brother, did not believe that Jesus was God until he died on the cross and rose. The own disciples who walked with them for over three years, some of them questioned who this guy really was. They knew he was a Messiah, but they didn't, the part of him being God, I'm not sure if they totally 
hit that because they couldn't believe when he died. And when they died, what happened? They all got scared and they ran. Peter himself, who Christ said he would build a church off, denied him three times. But these same disciples turned apostles who were scared to death once he was lifted up and they saw him walking around. Oh, heck no. Hey, you know what? They were willing to die. They went to the ends of the earth. They were bold. They didn't care nothing because guess what? As Christians, we don't die. We multiply. There ain't no more fear. But then that light gets reflected on them because of them, because of them going to all ends of the earth and sharing the gospel and not just sharing it with the proclamation. But also in their lives and them seeing it. Well, then all of a sudden, people started catching that. And then all of a sudden, more. And then time goes on. Next thing you know, we're sitting here in church. And our communities and our families, our coworkers, we as Christians can be used. As Christians can make this gospel go farther. So in conclusion... If I were to say all of us could agree on this, that all of us want all the lost get saved, right? We do. We want somebody to go out there and reach the nations for Christ. We want to see our communities restored. We would love to be that light of the world. But how are the lost going to get saved? How are we going to reach the nations or even transform our communities if we ourselves are hiding from that light? If we are covering that light or if we ourselves are living in darkness? How can we, we want our friends that we love to come to know Jesus? Some of us have family members that we say we do anything, please, Lord, let them be saved. We want our marriages to flourish and be Christ-centered. We want our kids to grow up and know Jesus. But how can that happen if we're still living in the dark ourselves? Make no mistake, Jesus is the light of salvation to the world as the worship team comes up. And he called each and every last one of us. Call each and every last one of us to be a reflection. Each of us have what I call a circle of influence. We have people in our lives, whether we know it or not, who are watching us, who we have an influence on. And that light, that light, when we are made available, that the sun uses to reflect through us, that shines, ends up reflecting and bouncing off and also touching the people that are around us. You could be in your workplace and being 
available and used. And the people at your job see that. And because of that, they get to know Jesus. You could be the example of a godly marriage, making sure that Christ is the center and your kids watching that and want to be because this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine actually I didn't even expect that but (laughs) but just like in the reflection that you see Jesus is that reflection to the Father. And so me, to the world, we need to be the reflection of Jesus to everyone that we come in contact. So as we leave here today and we walk out these doors, let us be a little kinder. Let us love a little better. Let us forgive a little more. And let our light be so bright that the whole world sees the love of God through us. Let us pray. Dear Father God, the light of the world, Lord, we just we pray that We can read these words, meditate on them, and live them out. And that the people in our circle of influence, whether it be our coworkers, our classmates, our own family members, and our kids, let them see us living in the light and no longer in the darkness. For we are yours, just like you are the Father's. So in your precious son's name, we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.